Hey. Yo. What's going on? Yo. We starting? Yeah, this, we're we're doing it. <laughs> no, I just, you've never started it like that. Just hey, <laughs> what are you doing? It's like, oh. it's like a stop and frisk situation. <laughs> to catch the ball finger first which is never a good idea yeah that's generally a bad and my finger's so inflamed right now oh it's like the size of three fingers yeah it's bad i love basketball like as a game i love watching it and i like you know know a decent amount about it but like i've never liked playing it and that's why (laughs) and it's fucking jam my fingers all the time yeah terrible worst sport in the world for that it's fun i haven't played basketball in like 13 years and this is like just a pickup league with like just a bunch of teachers, actually, from like oh, the French shit. school board. <laughs> really? Me. Yeah. That's but random. It's it's really fun. Yeah. My fr- I had a friend that was doing it. I was gonna say, fun fact: Cam is extremely good at basketball. She grew up in one of the true basketball <laughs> dynasties sure. in Windsor. Her entire family are basketball coaches. Have we talked about this? professional basketball players. I don't want to dox her. Yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe we won't say that. But Cam is a look up. Coach Francis. Ball is life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Coach Francis. Francis. <laughs> Coach Francis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, basketball, dangerous sport. Dangerous, very dangerous sport. Before we started, the the person running the league looked me in the eyes and was like, this is just a fun league. Like, Because <laughs> you're like, no. She picked up on my energy. I was yeah. like, thank you for telling me that. She's like, we all have jobs. We all have to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. Like, we can't. Nobody needs an no, elbow to the face. No breaking no fa- ankles. Don't foul people, like, you know, blatantly yeah. and stuff. This isn't like, the Halal Rib Fest, Cam. Not- <laughs> we went to the Halal Rib Fest, which is hilarious because Cam and I are both vegetarian. <laughs> and, uh, we had a great time. Yeah, yeah, Cam. It rained the whole time. It was it was pretty cool. Cam did this like basketball game against this like ten year old kid, okay. and she annihilated him. It like was... she did not hold back. <laughs> I she got a free so. voucher for forty dollars worth of ribs. Okay, <laughs> I did not volunteer myself. Bilal and his brother Jamil were like. You're going go win us some ribs. You're, yeah, go win Jamil ribs. <laughs> and so I was like, I felt embarrassed because it was me against a seven year old. No, now it's seven. <laughs> well, I don't it know. Was he was, he was a, a small child, a small, small child, halal child. <laughs> and Cam just did not hold back, though. <laughs> just like you think he's been like strung up upside down somehow. <laughs> like, anyway, a 30 year old one versus a literal child. But no, the Hello Rib Fest epic event. Hope it comes back to Windsor next year. It was the first one. Who's your favorite basketball player? Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete. Pistol from Parks and Rec. No, actual Pistol Pete. Actual Pistol Pete. Yeah, he Isn't that a real? Pistol, that's a, that's a yeah. real guy. No, he's a real man. Who's Pistol Pete? He's like this he's one basketball of the best. guy from like back in the day. I don't even know. Actually, he like dribbles really well. <laughs> my, dad, my dad like stand is a stand for this guy. Like, <laughs> it's my dad's favorite basketball player. Yeah, I learned it. You, Travis? I'm a big T Mac guy, Tracy McGrady. Oh, okay, that's my, yeah. that's my guy. Him or Vince Carter? That's the era okay, of Raptors yeah. basketball that I grew up in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? What, what do you we got, you? Cam? Um, trying to think. <clears throat> or Rasheed Wallace, because he's dope. Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. I, mean, I like Larry Bird. Oh yeah, you <laughs> would like Larry Bird. <laughs> Not even Magic Johnson. Can't even go with the cool one of the two. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, Larry Bird's cool, I guess, just compared to Magic. I liked, I liked Alan Iverson when I was younger. That's solid. Was good. Yeah. yeah. Bit of a prick, but that's kind of what made him yeah. who he was. Yeah. Rasheed Wallace. Rasheed Wallace is a big... I was a big fan of him when he got traded to the Pistons and, like, mm-hmm. helped him win the championship in 04. And he's just, like, he's just kind of an asshole. He's part of that, like, the Jail Blazers, the... Uh, portland trailblazers team that like all of them had records basically oh, okay, yeah. and they were just all kind of assholes all the time and i loved it so yeah rasheed wallace tracy about, mcgrady like Shaq. Eh, not my style i like him as a personality 
It's he funny. changed the game. I prefer a wing, you know, like I'm more more into the wings. Yeah, you know, with point How guards. How many people literally had to change the league nets that they had to get? <laughs> Did they really? Yeah, because he kept breaking, breaking the them, nets. Yeah. That's all. That's the extent of my basketball knowledge. I just <laughs> know that. Fact. Yeah. I know Pistol Pete, and I know Shaq. Who is Pistol Pete? Who do you, Pistol like, Pete, man. He's, he's, <laughs> I actually don't know much. I was going to say, isn't there like a Parks and Rec character who's named Pistol Pete, and he could like dunk in high school? I know what you're talking about. Is that Pistol Pete, too? I think so. I thought like, it was. It was like the guy who like couldn't live down his like high school. Like He peaked in high school yeah. or whatever, and he was like this like hometown hero, and it, he just could not move and they tried to make him tried to make him dunk a basketball at 40, and he hurt himself. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, no, it was on the ice, and then he falls. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he dunks on ice, yeah. This is video. this is fantastic podcasting. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm just going to describe a, it. We're going to show a YouTube video. So there's an ad right now? Into it. Okay, Into he's it. got these cool purple pants with yellow cuffs. So he's on the Lakers? No, he's on the Jazz. He's on the Jazz. Oh, shit. He's a white dude with a goatee. All right. Yep, he's dribbling pretty well, it looks like. oh, See, like, 80s basketball is a bit of a blind spot for me. Okay. Outside of Magic and in. Bird, you know? I think he's technically very good. Yeah, probably. He was an NBA player. <laughs> no, my dad, like, loves... Like he loves Pistol Pete. Oh, yeah, the I see. So he's a big fundamental. He likes Tim Duncan, then. Eh? I don't big know. Tim, yeah, he probably does. He dad, dad probably likes Tim it. Duncan. Yeah. Well, this has been NBA Hour with uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Perpetual It's our sports coverage. <laughs> <laughs> the hiccups, yeah. sports coverage. Don't get me started because baseball is coming back soon. You guys are, don't know what you're asking for. It's just going to be you talking and us staring blankly. <laughs> like, no, it's just going to become a baseball podcast. I'm just going to bring on baseball people. Yeah, welcome back to the River and the Land. <laughs> Travis Labor, Bilal Rafiq, Cam Francis. <laughs> we we missed technically missed last week. Listen, get off our backs. We're busy yeah, people. I'm working seven days a week currently, and yeah. I'm working four jobs, so that's why we don't have time. Such, right a, now. such a 2024 story right there. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, so I'm, I'm soon going to be unemployed. And that's going to be dope. I have one month left on my job, and I can't wait mm-hmm. to be done. I don't really want to be poor, but I'm already poor, so who fucking cares? Am I going to be poor yeah. in work or poor and be unemployed? I'd rather be poor and unemployed. Yeah. Then I can do cool shit. No one wants to work these days. I don't yeah. fucking want to work. Who does? Who wants to work? What kind of psycho. No, straight up. People, like, I always hear that. Just this, yeah. uh... I don't know, this idea of, like, the labor shortage and, oh, it's just people just don't want to get off their ass. Kim Kardashian even said that. Yeah, I remember that. Saw a meme of that this morning. It's fresh on the mind. And, fucking Kardashians, Like, yeah. I wouldn't work either. Like, imagine just having one job that, like, you were fine and you could, like, chill and enjoy your life. Yeah, or just, like, know, like, make shit. I mean, like, I'm not against, like, laboring. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to make money for somebody else. It's, and yeah. I don't think anybody does. Is no. there a single person that's like eager to go make money for a billionaire? Like, no one fucking wants to do that shit. Honestly. Yeah. I, I do like work. Maybe that's my hot take. Is like, I think that it is good if you're able-bodied. And if you are like, just, you know, if you if you have the ability to contribute to society and the productive forces in that way and to keep the world running. And I think that is something like that we should embrace. And like, that's that's actually like part of the appeal of like, socialism to me is yeah. that it's it's very much rooted in like this idea of like work and the uh, creation because yeah you know work is creation and it's our creative essence at the end of the day and like yeah i don't know as a creative person like i really resonate with that but it's like shit right now because you're just yeah. you have no say in anything and you're just yeah i'm already like Keynes. Uh, John Maynard Keynes, John Maynard Keynes, yeah, that's his name. Um, who was sort of the intellectual thinker behind the New Deal? Um, he talked about how the New Deal was the first step toward a 15-hour work week. <laughs> so that never happened, obviously. But I mean, that would be the thing. It's it's like if 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 all we had to do was work 15 hours a week, which, given our productive capacity under capitalism, that's all we really need to be working to make mm-hmm. sure that shit's happening. <clears throat> if we were working 15 hours a week, okay, so that's like, you know, three days a week, five hours. Perfect. We'd all be mm-hmm. like little artists making our music and our paintings and our we'd be writing and thinking and mm-hmm. reading and doing all this other shit in our spare time, which is still labor, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not productive labor toward, you know, the creation of capital. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, like if, if, if labor was just 
uh, a thing to the extent that society could sustainably reproduce itself. Mm-hmm. I could only imagine because I know productivity is like skyrocketed. Yeah. And I, I don't have like figures off the off the top of my head, but like productivity is at like an all time high. Mm-hmm. And are you guys aware of uh, like bullshit jobs, like the David Graeber yeah. theory? Yeah. Like I, I wonder like how much labor is done that just doesn't have to be done and it's just done so that people can work to buy back things that are produced because otherwise you have a severe crisis of overproduction where just the workforce creates so much shit but then people don't have jobs and they're not able to buy things back and then the economy shrinks and goes into recession and it's like what if that wasn't a thing we had to worry about (laughs) like feed the beast yeah literally like well and how many and graber talks about how so much so much uh so many jobs are make work for the middle class because there's most middle class jobs are not actually necessary for the functioning of society. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's working class jobs that are shocking. Uh, So yeah, he, he split it up into bullshit jobs and thankless jobs that everybody who works for a wage has one of those two things. You either have a bullshit job or a thankless job and the thankless jobs are necessary for the functioning of society, but you probably get paid like shit, treated like shit and are like miserable all the time or your body's being broken down mm-hmm. and then bullshit jobs like the one i have aren't really necessary for the functioning of society and are literally just there to make the professional middle class money mm. you know and they, these consist of uh just off the top of my head large nonprofits, <laughs> corporate jobs uh hr uh etc post desk jobs <clears throat> i guess yeah and yeah it's where like those tend to be the ones that are like the most like soulless and that uh-huh. I think like really on a spiritual level like erode people down and yeah you know death the whole like death of a salesman kind of thing like it's like I'm, I don't know like I maybe I'm, I'm very privileged because I, I like I do work like crazy and I don't make a lot of money but I'm extremely fortunate to be able to do things that at least on that like more spiritual level like I am connected with and yeah I'm, you know, I, I at least hope like makes the world a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, and that's cool. But like, you know, just I've, I've been in jobs before where I know it's a bullshit job and yeah. that I think does something to you. Just oh, have absolutely. all your energy sucked into something that honestly should not exist. And you should have the ability to be just doing other shit with your life. Yeah. And the whole idea, like, I think we said this last week, capitalism doesn't create problems it doesn't have the answer to. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a problem that exists. We're in jobs that we shouldn't have to be in. And we have the productivity levels and the technological ability to be able to eliminate most work. Yeah. Like, we could probably have, like, I, I don't have the numbers, but, like, at least half of the work week that we currently have. I mean, I would argue more. I mean, AI is replacing work. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's probably crazy. Yeah, which on its own, like automation has always been a thing that the working classes had to deal with since at least the Industrial Revolution, but it's ramping up now and is becoming this this AI monster. And it's like, yes, most of our jobs can be done by AI. The only reason that's seen as a bad thing is because we know who's going to benefit from that and it's not going to be working class Mm -hmm. people, right? You can envision a world where AI is actually doing most of the shitty, awful labor Mm -hmm. that does break down your body and is degrading and then people wouldn't have to work it anymore. And if 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 the resources that came from that went to the working class instead of the billionaire class, then we'd have a much different society. And, And I don't think anybody would really care if I think everybody'd be pretty happy about AI and about the potential yeah. for it to mm-hmm. liberate us from that kind of shit. Right. Yeah, it's like none of these <clears throat> things exist outside of the social relationships that they are born within. So like like I don't know, that that's my problem with like a techno kind of essentialism or mm-hmm. you know, techno determinism that like, oh, technology developing is gonna give us the solutions to our problems and it's like no, it's never been the case. No. Going back to, you know, the early industrial period it's always like how that fits into the already existing social relations and in order to use these things because the things themselves are just they're neutral they're neutral yeah, yeah technology is neutral exactly like if we mm-hmm. had a socialist society where you know you had genuine democracy and people did have a say in how these things were to be used these would be like the best things to ever happen like yeah i don't know i just think about the world we could live in the the level of abundance that we could have and yeah yeah all these things yeah absolutely and uh this is why we're communists or socialists or whatever you want to call us is like that's not the world we currently live in 
you know, I know it seems like kind of a waste of time to just be like super idealistic in this way and be like, oh, like, okay, in an ideal world, you know, and kind of start from that position. But I actually think it's really useful to have like a sense of imagination and to just mm-hmm. look at look at things like from where they are material materially right now, you know, think about like the potential for the type of world we could have and ask ourselves like why don't we have these things and point out those contradictions right Mm -hmm. because it is a contradiction that people are working more and more than ever that they have less access to the things that they need than they have in a very long time like Mm -hmm. i know we're going to talk about like housing in a bit but also like food insecurity and just access to everything when productivity is so like crazily high yeah and we have more than we've ever had like why is there food insecurity when we produce enough food to feed two planets right yeah so i i think like starting with these contradictions and then being able to have a sense of imagination that is strong enough to like break through the sense of like capitalist realism that's instilled in us that well this is the best we can do like yeah no we we can't settle for that we have to be like well why why the fuck are things the way they are right now and how do we get out genuinely get out of this yeah so one of my i met with one of my good friends this week who is is definitely pretty liberal uh i'd say he's like you know sock them lefty liberal kind of guy uh really like good person with good personal values but Mm -hmm. has but has this notion that yeah communism would be great but it never it's never going to work that'll never happen and that it's it's that sort of i think that falls into capitalist realism right this Mm -hmm. idea that well the world we have is this way and it's never going to change and like you know i know he's probably listening to this because i i turned him onto the podcast so he he Mm -hmm. wants to he wants to hear this stuff so like like how do you respond to that just either one of you just you know, someone says someone change. says that to you, you know, well, yeah, communism in theory would be great, but like, show me an instance where it's worked and show me, mm-hmm. show me an instance where, and, and, and mark out the path. How do we get from what we've got to that? Because mm. I think it's that, that sort of pessimism that we can't right. break out of this, right? I mean, there's different ways to answer this question. And I've thought about it from a lot of different perspectives. I am someone who is more maybe more optimistic than I should be. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe I'm holding on to this schema of like historical materialism and that society will inevitably develop in a certain way, you know, towards liberation and towards socialism. I don't think it's inevitable, but I think that given the, the level of issues that we're dealing with right now, whether it's the environment, whether it's the economy, it's not a matter of like, oh, we're going to get there. It's a matter of like, if we want a solution, this is the only thing that's going to be viable. We do need a radical reconstruction of society along mm. completely different <clears throat> class means. And I'd also say that, you know, I think if we were to place ourselves temporally within the last 30 years, af- you know, within the era of so-called <laughs> capitalist realism. So, you know, going back to the 90s when... Francis Fukuyama famously declared the end of history when the the so-called communist world fell and we were into the kind of uh, eternal post-historical, post-Cold uh, War, neoliberal, neoliberalism existing forever kind of thing. Like There is no alternative. Yeah, there is yeah. no alternative. That's ending. Like 2008 was the end of that. We're, yeah. we're heading into a world where like, and it's hard to see because we're at the beginning of the process. Yeah. So you have to have some imagination. But look, union rates are going up. Union drives are stronger than ever. People mm-hmm. are already organizing. There's mass movements forming all around the world. And these things develop really slowly. But like we're clearly at the beginning of a process of people becoming radicalized in this way. There was just a poll recently from forget which i forget which one we could we could link it somewhere which we always say but we never do that uh, show that millions of young canadians are socialists millions of people in all the countries in the world that were like the worst victims of like cold cold war propaganda are breaking through that and being like no capitalism's fucked because we've never existed in a healthy form of capitalism so the question is like you know it I'm not going to pretend I have all the solutions and be like, here's the way forward. But I think enough people want it where people are going to be creatively looking for solutions and seeking these answers. And then if you guys don't mind me like just fucking rambling, there is the historical 
kind of, uh, you know, we're, there, there's the present iteration of this question, which is like, where do we go from here? And then there's the historical one about this meme of, oh, communism works on paper, but it's never worked in practice. I profoundly disagree with that yeah, statement same. because it is a historical. And I also do want to differentiate before we kind of get into this, but I kind of draw a line between, you know, communism in the sense that like Marx or Lenin or Trotsky or Rosa Luxemburg envisioned it and what these kind of states developed into that tended to be a little bit more authoritarian, tended to not look like uh, what people like Marx wrote about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I kind of differentiate between those things. But I would say that those latter examples of like authoritarian socialism do still have progressive elements that I think are worth defending. And that were, I think these projects were fundamentally progressive, despite the fact that they had huge flaws. Yeah. And, Um, And oftentimes those flaws were the result of a of being surrounded by cap by hostile capitalist states mm-hmm. right and like it's it's hard to say well cuba cuba is such a failure it's so poor and like you know like people are struggling there it's like yeah because they're a tiny island of a, mm-hmm. a couple million people 90 miles from the richest mm-hmm. capitalist nation in the world's history mm-hmm. and the fact that they even have something that isn't fully capitalist is kind of incredible right you know and and is it going to be perfect no because it's not it, it's not possible to be perfect mm-hmm. when it's being surrounded by economic embargoes and like hostile militaries and, you know, is constantly being fucked with by these countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuba is a resounding success story. And, and yeah. that's the thing is you have to look at these things in context. Uh, if you look at things in a vacuum, then yeah, the communist dream has been a total failure because these states all either collapsed or they uh, degenerated into these like authoritarian structures. But you know, if you look at them within context, they're all pretty much all universally massive success stories. Like the fact that Cuba, which is a tiny island that was colonized mm-hmm. previous to its revolutionary project, and then placed in these completely fucked uh, conditions of like imperial blockade and stuff, they still maintain. They still were able to develop their country. They were still able to uh, provide quality healthcare and education and mm-hmm. housing. They have a higher life expectancy than they had. I don't know if this is still the case, but for a very long time, they had a higher life expectancy than the United States. Yeah. They were exporting doctors yeah, they still all do over that. the world. That was their main export was was medical personnel. They assisted in like anti-colonial struggles, including in South Africa. They you know they played a major role in ending apartheid in South Africa. The the list goes on and on in terms of like what the Cuban model was able to achieve. And does that mean that it's without its flaws? No. Do I believe in term limits? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, it goes back to I don't know, we, we could spend some time on this, but then we could do a whole we need to do episodes. It will be on, an episode. episodes if on you want to understand why communism looked the way it was, you have to go back to the the Russian Revolution, which is sort yeah. of the like, archetype for everything that happened out of that. And look at the conditions that was in, understand why that became you know, you went from like the Leninist model, which I think was inherently democratic in most mm-hmm. ways, which degenerated into the Stalinist model, and why that was the model that was used in virtually every other uh, attempt at installing socialism, other than like Spain in the 30s. Yeah. You know, um, I'm totally tangentializing. Yeah, right? no, it, I, th- I think the other. The other thing too to remember, I mean, we can we can go back to our old good buddy Marx when he talks about how societies change, right? Because that that sort of idea that well, what we've got and what we want are just not tangible. You can go back to feudalism; people saying the same exact thing, right? Mm-hmm. And feudalism eventually did come down, and it in the in the ter- in terms of one single person's lifetime, it it seems like not it it's it seems like a really long time. But actually, the transition from Europe being fully feudal to more or less fully capitalist in historical terms did not take very long at all mm-hmm. and it happened quite quickly once you started having like the it french did. revolution and other sorts of things right where but it also took hundreds of years yeah if you go from like all of, if you go from all over cromwell yeah, yeah, like, yeah i think people kind of like mark demarcate as the at the beginning of the end of feudalism yeah was that 1600s Somewhere? yeah or you could go back even further to the magna carta right, right. like which is the 1200s 
Right. Like <laughs> so, that process to like today, which there are still remnants of feudalism, even though like yeah. we're in a capitalist world. Look at your dollars, guys. Your Luna, they have the fucking queen on it or whatever. Yeah. Or even like by the 20th century, you still had a phenomenon of like combined development where you had societies that were maybe partially capitalist, partially feudal and all these contradictory structures. So history, yeah. you know, it, it happens very fast once it starts to happen, but it also is a process yeah. that kind of takes The lead up to well. it can take quite a while, but I would argue that, you know, instead of see, seeing capitalism as having the same lifeline or same life period as feudalism is probably not right either because Marx argued as well as many others that the capitalism is a transitionary period between that and what's coming right mm -hmm. so there's there's that too is that like we we could argue that we've been in this transitional mode since you know the french revolution or before right and mm -hmm. then that's this is just we're in the same continuation of that transition now mm -hmm. and that we might be seeing because of the hard limits of the environment mainly but also mm -hmm. the hard limits of what people will take mm -hmm. uh i think we're seeing some of those things being reached now where their change is inevitable in one way or the other because we literally can't sustain living on this planet the way we're doing it now mm -hmm. something will change whether we are the ones human beings are the ones that engineer that change or whether the planet says you're fucking done now right and now you got to deal with, now you got to do something else because uh, the, the this idea that the world is going to end that we're all going to die in some big apocalyptic event and that's going to kill all of the humans it's just not realistic I mean, the way it's going to look is like people are going to die on mass because of climate change. Uh, and many people will go on living for many, many more generations. And that how those generations look is going to be very different than what we have today because it has to be. Mm -hmm. Like we can't keep doing capitalism on any level because it will absolutely make life unsustainable. The, the only sustainable, well, the communities that were sustainable were the, like the indigenous communities before we colonized certain lands right like you think about canada like these people have been living on the land for 13 plus thousand years mm -hmm. sustainably and you know because of colonization white people came here and wiped them out we didn't learn anything from you know what their their knowledge was and of the land and whatnot like mm -hmm. for me i think about like just just how they lived and just thinking like that must be the most sustainable model because it is like it's mm -hmm. this community model where you take care of people, you know, even on reserves, like, I don't know if there's land ownership in this, in the sense that we know it, you know, yeah, in, not, yeah. in this sense, right? Like, mm -hmm. and you're right. Like if you, I don't know, I, I'm optimistic and I always think about, you know, the future and like even just leaving a, for the future generations, leaving a planet that is livable. Um, when it comes to capitalism, like everything I love is, is, being destroyed yeah everything's 10 so, percent worse every year yeah that's the, that's so it's the 10%, like, just everything's why would, a little why bit would worse I, I don't know just like if you're saying like oh like i don't know if you're feeling like apathetic about it i just i don't know i feel like that's probably they it, it, i think that's instilled in us and to believe yeah. that like you can't make change and change is not possible and don't even try i think mm -hmm. they try to instill that and i think also they work us so hard like the working class are worked so hard that it's hard to have energy to organize. Mm -hmm. It's hard to have energy to keep reading about this and like learning. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I don't know. It's just the hand, the, the cards that were dealt as working class people. We have to work a little harder to organize. And I think like, I just, I, I do believe change is possible. And like, I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm just like an optimistic person, but like, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I believe it. Like, I don't know. Well, change I actually change is inevitable, it's though. It's, it's inevitable. not just possible. Yeah, it's not it possible. is inevitable. Is it yeah. inevitable that there's going to be uh, a truly communist future and stuff? Absolutely not. But it's. I do think it's inevitable that, like, th as things get worse, people are not going to take it anymore. Yeah. I mean, just just look around us, man. Like, revolutions happen all the time. Yeah, and they re revolutionary happen. things, yeah. even if they don't result in a revolution. Exactly. Like I say, I, would talk, I talk all the time about Black Lives Matter or Occupy before that or the Arab Spring. Mm -hmm. These were revolutionary movements. Whether or not they came to fruition and completion is another another right. story altogether. But these were revolutionary yeah, movements. There was an absence of, I think, leadership that understood the historical task of these movements mm -hmm. in the sense of, oh, this is a vehicle through which we can end capitalism. I think mm -hmm. that's what was missing is it wasn't the fact that people were ready to at times put their lives on the line if you look at you know especially in like the arab spring and stuff you know mm -hmm. look at the 
mess that, that you know, in places like Syria, right? Like they yeah. were joining the FSA, at least in the beginning when it was you know, somewhat of a progressive structure. And then, uh, you know, it all went to hell. But yeah. if there was that leadership... Well, and we're, see, and we're seeing these movements. We're seeing even in Europe now, right, with all these farmers' strikes and shit. Like, mm-hmm. they're getting pretty, pretty out there and pretty radical, and like entire cities being shut down by these farmers and shit, right? So, like, things mm-hmm. happen. Things do eventually happen. And I think the, to Cam's point about these sort of indigenous North America or like Africa or Southeast Asia or India at various points throughout its history, obviously before colonialism. Uh, communism was working and thriving. It wasn't yeah. necessarily called communism, big C communism with the hammer and the sickle and the red and whatever else, right? Because it, there was no context to need that at that time, right? It was mm-hmm. just how human beings lived and survived, right? And so, exactly. like, whether you want to call that communism or not, and it certainly looked different depending on where you were, you can't paint the entire global south and North American indigenous people with one monolithic brush, but you definitely can point to the fact that the way they viewed land ownership, the way that they viewed communal responsibility, the way that they viewed work and labor were vastly different than they are under capitalism and look way more like mm. this idealistic communism that we say is impossible. Yeah. And for most of human history, that's exactly what we did. Yeah. I mean, human beings have existed for over 200,000 years. Class structures and stratification and all the things that come with it, especially like you know sexual oppression and gender oppression and racial oppression... All these things are like 10,000 years old, really. Yeah, yeah. It's arguable about like when the lines actually are demarcated, but for at least, you know, 90 to 95% of all human existence. But I'd like to adequately answer this question for sure of like, why doesn't socialism work type thing, but... Or or just the, like I say, I'm trying to phrase it in the right way, not to misrepresent what he's saying, because he was, he, again... I, I know this. I've known this guy for a very long time. I know he's like a good person mm-hmm. who I think genuine, genuinely believes in communistic values, mm-hmm. but doesn't see how we get there. Yeah, he's pragmatic. Yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. pragmatic exactly, and and like all that's that's all well and good, but shouldn't we focus on just making things a little bit better? And mm-hmm. my answer to that question is absolutely we should. <laughs> but yeah. like, but that like like we said before in the reformer revolution uh, episode. To me, it's about aiming the boat in the right direction, right? There's reform that is just reform for reform's sake that doesn't actually do anything and intends to actually make things worse. And then there's reform that's directed toward a more socialistic redistribution of wealth Mm -hmm. and reconfiguration of class society. Mm -hmm. I mean, historically, how do you achieve reform? You build a revolutionary movement and then, then you'll get a deal from the capitalist class or the yeah. politicians because then you what have leverage in the 30s, right? exactly that's literally the only way so even if you were a reformist you should actually be a revolutionary but yeah i mean what were we saying we got caught off so we were, ta- we were talking we about were, you you had mentioned that uh like these sort of big systemic i don't think you were saying that humanity or that humans human oppression has only been around for ten thousand years but that systemic oppression yeah has only really been around for about ten thousand years that yeah. was kind of the last point you made. roughly yeah i mean that's the thing we're we're talking about how like before we got interrupted by uh what we thought was someone screaming in the basement (laughs) but it was actually a child turns out it was a child laughter of a child laughter of a child so we paused for a sec but you know cam was making the point and you were making the point that like in a lot of like indigenous uh ways of life you know could be seen as communistic and that's it's true we shouldn't paint these people with a broad brush but it is pretty consistent with anthropology to Mm -hmm. the extent that i understand it that basically every human society at a certain stage in its development was what people like marx and engels called primitive communism primitive not meaning like oh you're primitive you're like undeveloped primitive coming from the german word uh translated from a german word meaning like first or yes. early early communism so you know for most of human existence we existed without a state we existed without uh class distinctions and all that uh class stratification in society and what you know communism in like the modern sense was meant to be is a return to that kind of original way of life but on a higher level so doing it not out of uh, on a systemic level exactly like whereas you know the early forms of communism were out of just like you know you can't out of a sense of not being able to justify 
one person having more than another because there's not enough to go around to begin with. So, of course, in a society, you're going to distribute things relatively equally. Yeah. Um, well, it, interestingly, there's an anthropological, uh, and, I, I'm, and I don't know the name of it, and I, like, I need to, to do that bit of research, but there's an anthropological um, uh, theory that talks about the, the scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset and how, you know, one of the reasons, quote-unquote, that white Europeans came to physically dominate the rest of the world through colonialism and imperialism was because they had a scarcity mindset, whereas most of the, what we now call the developing world, had an abundance mindset. And so, like, Mm -hmm. because Europeans were living in this cold, harsh environment, there was material scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. And that required them to then fight each other in order to make sure that there was more, that their people could survive, whatever their people meant, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, their tribe or their small nation state or their city or whatever. And that the rest of the world existed in a part of the world where there was abundance. There was lots of food to go around. There was no question that, yeah, you just, you just get, you just eat, you just survive, you just do the thing because it's, it's right there. It's available to us. We live off the land. And that those two mindsets competing is actually what caused colonialism on a sort of mindset level. Whether or not that's like considered, Mm. whether or not it's like a a good way of thinking or not, this idea that, you know, uh, colonized people were like, when when colonizers showed up, they're like, yeah, just Mm. come on in. It's cool. You can just, we're we're good, man. You can come in here and eat whatever you want and do whatever you want. And then the, the, the colonizers were like, we have to kill these people and take their shit because we have a scarcity mindset, right? So it's this so like, interesting. it's interesting. It, like, like I say, I'm not sure like, I don't, I, the details I behind all that. I can see how but. that makes sense, but also like, I don't think colonialism was like a, a specifically European thing either, no. right? Like the Arabs colonized all of yeah. North Africa, Japanese, Japan yeah. colonized all sort of parts of the world. Yeah, you the know? Mongolians. Like, yeah. I, I think that every, every empire uh you know has had the desire to like expand and conquer new land and stuff and that, mm-hmm. that's that's always been like a thing but i'm not sure like what the answer to that would be in terms of like why european colonialism was exceptionally uh successful other than well they were the earliest to develop like the capitalist mode of production and you know right. on, a, on a, a very like vulgarly material sense you know a more advanced mode of production and economy does yeah. tend to you know all things being equal uh prevail over uh, uh I, I hate like see, seeing it in like a higher or lower form of development but right. a less less uh, sophisticated level of like development yeah you know if you compare like well like a less of a globalized technology less of a globalized world too right because like no matter how much genghis khan for instance wanted to rule the world the physical limitations of horseback <laughs> yeah, exactly. made that like kind of difficult to pull off right whereas once europeans started to to be the ones who were doing all the colonizing it was you know they had ships they had you know overland transport they had all these sorts of things that allowed it to be more globalized Mm -hmm. right so like that that's one of those things where yes technology is neutral but if it's being used for a certain end it Mm -hmm. can be used for you know horrible shit they also had like superior technology in a lot of ways right like there's that what is that uh book jared diamond are you familiar with that guns mm. germs and steel or whatever like that's it, it's that, kind of that like sounds a, familiar it's like a reductionist know. materialist view on like why the world is the way it is and why europe was able to like prevail to the extent that it did and they're like well they had steel the rest of the world had iron you know they had guns other people had swords and bows and arrows and stuff and like you know that there is something to that as well i think mm. although it is like kind of reductionist yeah it is a little bit just like look at technology and so is that abundance versus scarcity mindset shit Mm -hmm. right it's it's just it's a quick and easy explanation but it does i think ring true in some ways of like well yeah like europeans were just used to fighting each other like no one has warred with each other more than fucking europeans have right like and and is that is that because they did tend to live in harsher environments where food was less abundant where resources were less abundant maybe like Mm -hmm. that that seems to ring true on some level right whether or not that's actually what happened and there's lots of debate about what actually mm-hmm. happened and even like there's lots of debate about the nature of class society right like mm-hmm. uh some people say it started with agrarian times other people say it, it's sort of uneven and you know it depends what you consider to be class uh, mm-hmm. you know versus um you know because because inequality has probably existed long before you know capital c class did right where mm-hmm. where even individual people within a tribal or nomadic culture might not have had the same status as one another 
but whether mm-hmm. or not that's a class or not is sort of the debate, right? Yeah. Well, you had caste, and then yeah. caste became class. Because, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it, it does depend on how you define these things, right? Like, I kind of see class as just a relationship to production. Yeah. But that doesn't preclude caste, because you could also have, like, a caste system within a class. Mm-hmm. For instance, if, you know, in all these, like, uh, communistic kind of projects we're talking, like... Where you had a very strong state and all these things like soviet union china in its early few decades you know all like those uh more authoritarian forms of socialism that we we think about when we think of the word like they didn't have classes because in, in the sense of like people relating to production in a different way like you didn't have a boss and worker kind of relationship yeah or capitalist and uh worker kind of relationship but you had people who were of a different caste because of their like political power and their role in like the state machinery and like that's that's kind of another aspect of it for Mm -hmm. sure but yeah this is is not what we planned on talking about in this episode is the question (laughs) being answered though like do you do you know what the path forward looks like to get from like a system like capitalism like we're in today to like ideal you know, socialism than communism like is there yeah. a pathway or or is it i mean the, the other question here is too is how much of a utopian do you want to be right because i think that there's a, i do think there's this idea among socialists and whether you call them anarchist communists whatever that uh there's a there's a lot of utopian thinking involved mm-hmm. in that where it's like okay this is like this we we are capable of having this incredible amazing world where no one ever gets hurt or is oppressed ever again and like yeah in theory <laughs> but like mm. we're also human beings and there's billions of us right so like right. is that all is that always going to look the same i think if we're talking in gen what communists I, I think more pragmatic communists are talking in generalities like we can generally have the world that we want are there mm-hmm. still going to be bad actors bad systems bad things that we couldn't have foreseen like yeah of course we're human beings that's just how it goes right mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that we can't strive for what is a better system right because capitalism is a inherently exploitative deliberately exploitative and resource restract uh extracting system on a finite planet that is different than what you know communists talk about Mm -hmm. that overarching system that doesn't mean there's not going to be problems within it of course there's going to be problems within it so whether whether or not we're talking about a utopia or whether we're talking Mm -hmm. about a system that generally serves the needs of human beings and the planet better Mm -hmm. what do you think are some revolution or sorry uh reform things that lead to revolution that you see in i don't know today's world like would you say unions or like organize like just working class organizations that you know like what do you guys see as being those things that are reformists but are leading towards the more of like a revolutionary thing i i don't think it's about like what reforms particularly it's more about like generally how reforms are approached like whether they're approached from and you're engaging in whatever movement from the point of view of trying to elevate you know the consciousness of people around you would be like okay we're doing this this is good this is going to make our lives better but we have to know that this is not going to end up going far enough it's going to ultimately be inadequate and unsustainable because the real problem isn't you know xyz the real problem is the fact that we live under we live under capitalism we don't have control over our own lives or our own workplaces or things like that and yeah i think like unions are a big part of that but it's not the end all be all right mm-hmm. like none of these things are that they're they're a stepping stone towards a wider thing and these all need to be, you know i think last was it last time we talked about like the need to build up a kind of like infrastructure for a new labor movement or a new whatever you want to call it kind of movement movement of working people and like as long as that's missing to kind of like go back to like the first question of like what what is the path forward i think it's just like a is education Mm. we don't have the right ideas right now we have a lot of energy and a lot of movement and people are going out there they're protesting they're trying to do shit what do you actually do what are the good ideas oh i want to read more about politics what do you actually read you know where where do you start what do you learn what should actually be done um and then there's the organizational aspect which is like we need organizations we don't have shit in yeah. canada in most of the world we have nothing there's the no way working of, class movement really. exactly it's yeah. been destroyed it's yeah. been and that's not just unions that's organizations that are 
not just in like isolated in a specific workplace or maybe aren't just oriented about or, or around work themselves but that are like wider community organizations yeah we don't, don't exist, have those yeah. anymore <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny because like uh so my part of my family hails from a place called Workworth, ontario which if you've never heard of that's because it's the tiniest fucking place of all time it's like mm-hmm. a few streets and it's in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a valley that the closest city to it the actual city is peterborough which is 45 minutes away there are a bunch of smaller towns farm towns around that and uh when i was going through my my grandparents stuff uh, a couple of years ago i found this book and it was a workworth community like just like this is all the shit that's going on in the community just a book that was passed out to everyone who lived in the area or you could get it probably at stores or just wherever right uh and this was like from the 50s so not even that long ago Mm-hmm. And, like, the amount of shit there was to do in this tiny hamlet of a town where there's fuck all now, you could, there was dances, there was uh, actor uh, theater groups, there was, like, there was, like, all this kind of shit. There were different clubs and stuff you could go to happening almost every night of the week. There was a bar that had live music four nights a week. Like, all this stuff that was probably not profitable for anybody definitely not profitable for anybody but there was money there from the community from the taxpayers from whatever that was able to fund this kind of shit that was able to like make sure that in the dead of winter in this tiny little town where you have nothing to do that you have community that you can show up to a place and there will be people there they will be doing fun things and you can be a part of that that doesn't fucking exist anymore not does that barely exist in cities let alone in tiny little hamlets in the middle of nowhere the only place that kind of exists on reservations right on indigenous reservations and why is that because they're not concerned about extracting as much profit from every activity Mm -hmm. as possible that's actually not the aim of it at all it's to keep the community together and in some cases alive because like this this community connection is integral for people's survival Mm -hmm. so they don't off themselves from isolation right totally so like it's i think a lot of it is this like not even necessarily how do we get back to that, but I think it's this emphasizing on on truly working class movements, and that can look like a theater group or a comedy club mm-hmm. or whatever, as long as they are directed and for and by the working class, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not for profit of some fucking billionaire asshole or some developer or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the the switch from capitalism to whatever comes next, if it's going to go in a positive direction, I think that's the switch we have to make, right? It's just this this idea that, well, you know, not every fucking space in the city needs to be colonized by the need for profit. Mm-hmm. We can just start rethinking the space around us, taking that out of the equation and seeing what happens. And if you do that to enough places in a community, the world starts to look a lot fucking different, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the, it, revolution can be, yeah, it can be guns and charging the capital. It can also be that kind of shit yeah right Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be violent overthrow it can be the recognition that we need each other to survive and that we should be taking the profit motive out of our communities entirely Mm -hmm. yeah i i agree in so far as those things i think farther consciousness changing yeah and it's not it's not an exactly like i see what you mean about like the more people like live as a community and engage with each other and see all of our existence as tied to everyone else's existence, which is so fucking true. Like no yeah. one, no one's an individual under yeah. capitalism or under right? any other system. And that, that's actually what capitalism like does <laughs> yeah. it, compared to other systems because under like feudalism, you were more of an individual, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 even in terms of like productive process. And that, that's a big part of like why, you know, we, uh, I don't, I'm trying not to go on like a totally nerdy tangent, but you know, one of the things that capitalism does is it brings the community together in mm-hmm. the sense of like, oh, we all work together in common workplaces. The productive process is social. So you have a socialization of labor. You have people concentrating into cities where there's more population density now. The productive process is concentrated. Everything gets concentrated and you have these like more tight-knit communities that are completely... Uh, like our communists, our socialists in mm-hmm. every way except for what is done with what the community actually creates. So you have a contradiction there. Yeah. That, that's sort of the central, I think, idea in, in Marxism as well is you have like capitalism creates socialism 
in basically in effect, like it's mm-hmm. already, the, the thing is already done through the level of development, creating super abundance so that we can shorten the work week and focus on other aspects of our lives, focus on collective governance. And then in the economic sense of like the socialization of labor. And then the last step is just like people taking what already exists into their yeah. own ownership. And it's it's, it, it's yeah. just a conquest of ownership and a conquest of power. Right. And I think where these- that I think where what I was trying to say that going beyond the productive capacity of work is that that also exists in our communities in terms of, the, of how the land is divided up and who owns it and what it's for, right? And so like yes, there is that aspect of it, mm-hmm. but it's also like yeah, but we also have to take back Willette Avenue and change all those businesses into worker co-ops, which is the same kind of argument. Or, you know, uh, having spaces where people can just come together without the expectation of spending money, like a library, mm-hmm. for instance, mm-hmm. right? Like libraries are fucking socialist, you know? They literally are. And so, like, I, like there's, there's that, like, that need to sort of rethink, like, and this is sort of gets back to, like, the whole dialectic of, you know, um, you know, material versus ideal, right? Is mm-hmm. a, like, I think where where maybe I differ from a lot of uh, more orthodox Marxists is that I think that the ideal part's actually pretty fucking important too. And like, and how, and how you do that is by, by instilling this notion of class consciousness by Mm -hmm. fostering communities and taking away profit from the Mm -hmm. equation. Right. No, I agree. I I think that like that, that is like the dialectical part Mm -hmm. is the ideal because that's Mm -hmm. the whole point. Like, that's what makes it dialectical materialism is like the ideal aspects of our lives are actually extremely important ideas are extremely important language is extremely important all Mm -hmm. these things and it's uh you know yeah of course in the in the last analysis they're reinforced primarily by and determined primarily by the material conditions but then they go around and they become their own things themselves that reinforce the world around them and ideas do shape the world and like on kind of a literal level at this point like what's the thing that is holding capitalism up it's certainly not its merits as a system at this point it's failing all around us it's literally destroying the planet and itself and there's no way out of it like it's yeah it's a farce of a it's system a death drive. the only reason it still exists right now is people don't have alternatives and they're not uh, they, they can't envision that alternative it's, it's, it's primarily ideal. It's yeah. this idea that people still buy into the system. And as soon as enough people don't buy into it, they're going to get organized and they're going to do something about it. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if we answered my friend's question or not. Maybe. But. I mean, what was the question? Was it just like, what's the path forward? No, it was more just like, I guess it wasn't really a question so much as it was like a, you know, um, like a statement of like, yeah, communism's great. But it's like the whole, like this, I know you guys don't watch The Simpsons, but communism's great in theory. Mm. And, and like, and I think that that's a, how a lot of people think about it. They're like, well, yeah, wouldn't it be amazing and wonderful if we could all just have these things? And it's like, yeah, but we can, mm-hmm. we, we could just, we can actually do that. Yeah. That is possible for us to do and has been done in human history exactly. for the majority of human history. I think like a big part, <laughs> like if people kind of have those reservations, which I, I think is very natural to have because it's instilled in us that communism necessarily leads to these like authoritarian structures that as if evolved. capitalism doesn't yeah as if capitalism doesn't <laughs> but it's like actually look into the real history of any of these communist countries look at what was accomplished in spite of all of the 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 defects in in these projects in and spite, spite of, of all, spite of all the hostility from the outside world yeah, toward them in a lot of cases that's part of it and then fundamentally is like the level of development like we were talking earlier in the episode about how like there's a crazy amount of human uh, productivity at this point and we are at a point now where we could get rid of most of the work week where we're feeding we have enough food for two planets there's more than enough shit around like we're we're in an era of like super abundance where all scarcity is is uh is is a product of our distribution systems and our economic systems and all these things the any of these so like it's planned yeah exactly to bring it back to marx like a huge part of marx's theory is that society has to pass through a certain level of development to get to the point where we can go back to like our socialist origins. And that's the role that capitalism plays that I was talking about earlier by socializing labor and by developing the productive forces. Because if there's not enough food to go around, then how are people going to be able to collectively govern society? Mm -hmm. How are they going to be, uh, 
going to their local community council or whatever and you know all, all of the things that we think about when we think about like orthodox socialism about like collective governance and you know uh, workers control of production and stuff if everyone's working you know 15 hour days or whatever even if they're working eight hour days yeah exactly you don't have the capacity or time or anything to do that it's not a coincidence that every single one of the 20th century socialist projects occurred in underdeveloped nations or mm -hmm. colonized nations where there was no development to begin with some of these places weren't even capitalist yeah. by the time they and if capitalism as a form of development is a prerequisite for socialism then how do you go from feudalism to socialism even mm -hmm. like russia uh czarist russia was like a semi-colony of the rest of europe it was extremely economically backwards and uh of course like you know like you you can't build socialism in those conditions mm -hmm. despite that though it was able to st accomplish some pretty amazing things and develop yeah. to a point where it was the second superpower in 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 in, uh, in the world arguably still is i mean in a lot of ways i mean it's not it's, it's not but like yeah you know, they it's went from like on the plow to going to space and yeah. defeating hitler in world war Two. like it's it's crazy in, in a span of a few decades too, exactly right? in a way that like yeah that didn't happen in the united yeah. states in quite the same way i mean they also went to the moon did those things but mm -hmm. it took a lot longer for that development right. tree to happen in the united I states i think the development thing though is like the key as to like why it's because you can't build socialism in backwards conditions mm -hmm. you can't you can build progressive things that like maybe resemble socialism and i still like you know i'm not like a left-wing anti-communist who just like is like oh i don't support any actually existing yeah. revolutionary movement like i support all these things i think that there's good outcomes to them generally but you know they're not socialism yeah. socialism requires a level of development to truly be able to have that system in place we have those conditions now though i don't yeah. think they really existed in the 20th century maybe mm -hmm. these were premature attempts but yeah. it's inarguable now at this point like our working class is over educated we have yeah. one job for every three phds we have crazy <laughs> levels of development like yeah yeah and the uh you heard of the concept of i mean this is like we shouldn't even get into this at this point we should be <laughs> wrapping up but like the the idea of library socialism it's a it's like a this the sort of idea that libraries uh obviously have been conceived of as places where there's books and knowledge and that's where that's been held and that's so important that we need to socialize it mm -hmm. um and that's amazing and we should continue doing that and if, if you're not pro library you shouldn't be listening to us but uh <laughs> there's there's uh there's also this notion that like libraries could actually serve a wider function of degrowth right because mm. think about it I, the, the example that's used a lot is a drill like a cord like a cordless drill that you use to put up a painting or hang a shelf whatever right everybody has one of those like vast majority of people have one of those in their mm. house that they might use three times a year unless you're like really a do-it-yourselfer you probably use that thing two to three times a year to hang a painting for 10 minutes or you got a shelf off of Amazon. You got to put it up. You got to do the thing. Why do we all need to own fucking drills when that's the case? Why aren't there just collectively owned drills in a library that we can go and get and borrow when we need it, mm -hmm. take it home, use it, bring it back. And then you can you think of any household item or any sort of anything really mm -hmm. that you have in your house for the specific use or for the specific reason that you might need it once a year, yeah. twice a year. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this idea that like ca capitalism is just overproducing shit, just overproducing stuff because everybody's so atomized, there is no collective ownership of anything. And so everybody mm -hmm. has to own their own little thing here yeah. and there. But library, the idea of library socialism is that like most of our household items could just be like repurposed as communal owned mm -hmm. items. And we can stop producing this shit and it would actually mm -hmm. like lead to a degrowth mindset and stop mm -hmm. focusing on producing more and more and more uh mm -hmm. you know killing the environment and filling it with plastic mm -hmm. exactly and we can't get out of that right now even yeah. if like we wanted to do that we literally can't because otherwise the capitalist system just eats shit because yeah. of the crisis of overproduction right yeah, exactly we so, make too much shit and yeah. then we can't buy it back as a class so yeah. we have to invent necessity and then we all end up with one of everything yeah exactly we're just, uh, just not necessary and it's also not how human beings have ever been 
you know like there's there's never been like one household every every single household throughout history having everything you might ever need mm-hmm. it's just, it's a very that's a very recent concept in humanity mm-hmm. even more recent than capitalism so yeah, like true. that's more of like a almost a post-war thing right this idea this this uh needing to increase the capacity of workers and so we need to make shit let's just make oh how do we make shit well, we've got to create demand okay well how do we create demand well we we make it so that you can't borrow a fucking drill from your neighbor anymore mm-hmm. that's seen as socially taboo in some way and you have to have your own shit and your own mm-hmm. little thing in your house True. i mean people don't even know their neighbors names anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like who knows their neighbor who knows two people maybe your next door neighbors but like two houses down three houses down yeah i don't fucking know yeah i don't know but I don't even know all the people in my fucking building. Literally. <laughs> and, I, and I make an effort to try to know them all. <laughs> so like I know most people in this building. Yeah, but you're can know someone across the street. Yeah, you're but you can't. <laughs> most people don't know anybody in their in their building. But it, yeah, like so so I just I think there's a lot of ways to conceive of what socialism or communism is and it's not necessarily a thing that just happens overnight. And that doesn't mean it's a failure if it doesn't, right? These things are a process that take a lot of time. And mm-hmm. and it's it's about Again, it's about forming working class organizations that can fill the need that capitalism is currently filling, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. I'd like to do like a coherent episode on this topic. <laughs> I feel like this future. was a pretty coherent. It was pretty good. It was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, we didn't, maybe didn't have like, we weren't quoting people, but that's not yeah. always important either, True. right? Like we're more just... well researched, but this was good. This yeah. was fun. So we were going to talk about this whole housing thing with uh, the city rejecting fourplexes and therefore losing 70 million dollars of housing money but that that's that's another conversation i think we should maybe save for next week when yeah. we know more about it Let's do and it next week yeah and i think because i think there's a lot of like interesting because the, what you're hearing right now is is the dilkins camp versus the i guess fabio camp right these two uh camps of like we don't need it we do need it well there's a there's a third way as always we, we disagree with all of them so uh yeah. yeah we'll we'll come back and talk about that another time it's good. But, uh, let's go get some Acapulco Delight, yeah. you guys. It's happening. No free ads, but also Acapulco Delight. We yeah. will be at Acapulco. If you're listening to this, we will have been at Acapulco. We will have already been. Two days ago, so don't find us <laughs> We might be there again. We come along. Yeah, I was going to say. Shout, shout out shouts to Kevin. Out, shouts out to Kevin. True. Shout out right. to Kevin's biceps. It's <laughs> because he's carrying all those children. Literally. Literally. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got like 19 ribs. kids. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get out of here. Radical Level.